Depression, anxiety, and autoimmune symptoms after birth is not how it's supposed to be. There is a much better way, and I'm here to show you how to do just that. Hey, my friend, I'm Miranda Bauer, a mother to four kids and a biology student turned scientist obsessed with changing the world through postpartum care. Join us as we talk to mothers and the providers who serve them and getting evidence-based information that actually supports the mind, body, and soul in the years after birth. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the podcast. I am Miranda Bauer, and I am here to give you all the juicy details about everything in the years postpartum that no one else is talking about. And today is absolutely no exception. We are going to get into a really hot topic, which is postpartum ADHD. You've probably seen this on the rise. I'm seeing women get diagnosed with ADHD left and right. Uh, postpartum women are coming out of the woodwork saying, no, this is me. This is what I have. And let's let's dive deeper into this conversation. Why is this occurring? Why is this taking place? Is it really related to postpartum uh, or is it just ADHD and general, there's so many different questions that I had that I know that you have and that I wanted to take a quick hot minute to answer for you. This is actually a more in-depth training that takes place within the Postpartum University Professional Membership. So if you're a professional member or you want to be, head over to www.postpartumu.com slash membership and listen to this training. It's a two hour long training and I'm gonna give you a snippet of this training. So the training piece that we're gonna get into today is really about the postpartum brain and its relationship to ADHD. So I'm gonna be drawing some very important points here, but I want you to know that you're missing several components of this training. The first, how we are covering the ADHD brain. So I go over the ADHD brain, what that looks like, the ADHD body, what that looks like, what you can experience, all of those hot, juicy things. And then the piece that I'm sharing with you today is specifically on postpartum ADHD, what's happening in the brain during the postpartum period and how that relates to what we're seeing in ADHD. The other component that is not covered, which I go into a little bit further, is the root causes. What's really transpiring and what can we do about it to make it better? How can we live with ADHD and support our bodies in deep radical healing so that there is a potential to get rid of ADHD, which is a huge conversation that we go into further. And I'm surprised that no one is talking about this really important fact that science has covered in mass detail. So anyway, enjoy this episode and be sure to check out the membership if you want more. I'm going to dive into a couple of different components about the physiological shifts that change within the postpartum brain, postpartum hormones and neurotransmitters. We're going to talk about postpartum nervous system and the postpartum gut and all of that in relationship to ADHD. And so some of this is going to be about simply understanding the changes that are happening within the postpartum body, but also how they relate. You're going to see a lot of correlations between these changes and ADHD. So we know 
that the postpartum period is a significant hormonal and physiological change. We also know that this impacts the brain, the hormones, and the overall function of the body. We know this, right? There is actual research that shows that the postpartum period is associated with structural changes in the brain, particularly in regions that are involved in social cognition, the prefrontal cortex, right, which is where cognitive and emotional processes happen, decision-making, planning, working memory, attention, social behavior, right? All of this, which is very much interrelated to ADHD. There's also structural changes to the amlegata, processing emotions, particularly feel of fear and aggressions. And these changes may reflect the brain's adaptation to this new social and emotional demands of, of motherhood. This is why it's believed to happen. There was a landmark study done in 2010, and it says the plasticity of the human maternal brain found that gray matter volume decreased in certain brain regions during the postpartum period, including the prefrontal cortex, and that these changes may persist for an up to two years after the birth of a baby and were associated with changes in mood and cognitive function. So take that in for a second. This gray matter in your brain, you know, as a postpartum person, this is shifting, this changes, okay? And it persists for an up to two years after the birth of a baby. And it changes your mood and your cognitive function. We also know that there's a lot of cellular, uh, intercellular level events, okay? So we have things that are happening in the, the bigger picture, right? Like your brain actually shifting and changing. Your uh, brain shrinks in size during the postpartum period. Uh, we gray matter decreases. Okay. But on a cellular level, we know that neuroplasticity. Okay. There's also synaptic remodeling. All of those things that allow the brain to learn new things faster are happening at a higher level. So it might, you know, you, you have a shrinking of the brain, which we can all relate to, right? Where we literally feel like, what was I thinking? Oh, I'm not thinking. Where did I, you know, <laughs> I remember putting a pencil in my, on my ear, right? I was like writing something and then I had to take care of my baby and put a pencil there. And then I couldn't find the pencil, right? Like little things like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? Or you put the remote control in the fridge, like little things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wow, that was, that was something else. Like never in a million years would I have done that outside of that. Right. It's a, yep. <laughs> These are normal brain changes, but at the same time, your brain is the, the plasticity of your brain. It's like going back to childhood and infancy. You're allowed and able to learn new things faster. So these brain changes that are happening and that are occurring in uh, pregnancy and in postpartum, a major part in postpartum, actually found that there's a significant predictive quality to a mother-infant attachment, okay? So meaning that all of these things that are occurring was helping a mother attach to her baby and care for her baby. We also know that there's these reward systems of the brain, 
And they're very, very active in the postpartum period, more so than any other point in life. Okay. We actually, they have studies done on female rodents that show that mothers eagerly uh, press for contact with their, their baby pups and that their suckling was more rewarding than cocaine. Their nursing baby was more rewarding to that reward system in their brain than that of cocaine. And that is the, the dopamine and the oxytocin and this neuroendocrine system that actually they, that study is what really f- created the foundation of the maternal motivation system. That is an its actual name. And we know that's very similar to what happens in the human body as well. And all of these changes, again, are a biological normal process. It's geared toward supporting the mother and supporting the the mother and protecting the baby from harm, which helps her care for her baby in the the most optimal way. It promotes their health, the development, the well-being of the baby. Okay. So lots of things that are that are transpiring in the brain itself during this time. So let's talk about hormones and neurotransmitters. Okay. So what in the world is making all of these brain changes? What is making all of these brain changes? Well, that's hormones and neurotransmitters. Okay. This, it has a specific name. It's called endocrine priming. It's a really complex process by which the, like the hormonal changes that occur in pregnancy prepare the body for childbirth in the postpartum period. Right. So during pregnancy, you have levels of estrogen and progesterone. Okay. Again, highly correlated with, with, uh, ADHD, we see that there's a major increase in, in estrogen and progesterone and pregnancy. And that affects brain activity, including memory and mood, right? Oftentimes, not always, this is not always the case because again, ADHD is multifactorial, but a lot of times people who have ADHD feel better emotionally and mentally with their ADHD. They have less symptoms in pregnancy because their estrogen levels and progesterone levels skyrocket. And we know that estrogen increases the release of dopamine and serotonin. So in postpartum, when estrogen levels fall immediately after birth, that dopamine levels decrease, okay? And interestingly, this is the same thing that happens during the menstrual cycle, but to a lesser extent, right? Postpartum is a significant change that happens in the body. But during the menstrual cycle, this happens too. And in menopause, estrogen levels drop considerably, which is why so many women in menopause are being diagnosed with ADHD. So we know that this postpartum period is associated with major neurotransmitter systems as well. So we've got the hormonal shifts that are that are changing the way our, our brain functions and just our, our body in general, but we have these neurotransmitters. And these neurotransmitters, uh, particularly dopamine and oxytocin, is very complex, multifaceted system. I couldn't possibly go into all of these details. One, I don't know all of them. Um, They're still being studied. This is not my area of expertise, but it is an incredibly complex system that would be a training in and of itself. But in summary, we know that these changes are, they they reflect, they're, they're related to the maternal behaviors and the bonding that occurs. 
So oxytocin can increase dopamine and lower cortisol. Okay. There's hardly any evidence or science on the subject as it pertains to ADHD when it comes to um, the oxytocin and dopamine and how they interact with each other. That's very interesting. But we do know that interventions like Pitocin and birth. So Pitocin uh, alters the natural release of oxytocin and creates an imbalance in the dopamine and oxytocin systems. Okay. The impact of a mother has yet to be studied outside of its known risk for increasing postpartum depression. So if a mother receives Pitocin during her labor, uh, or even in her postpartum state, she's hemorrhaging. Pitocin is, is a common uh, thing to, to receive during that time. She is at a significantly increased risk of developing postpartum depression. But we also know its impact on her babies are also significant. So there was a study done, which is included here. And I quote this, results revealed a strong predictive relationship between perinatal pitocin exposure and subsequent childhood ADHD onset. Occurring in 67.1% of perinatal uh, pitocin cases versus 35.6% in non-exposure cases. It's double, it's nearly double. So if you've had Pitocin, it shapes, you know, in labor, or maybe your mom had Pitocin with you in labor, that greatly shaped your brain and development to be more likely to experience ADHD. I wish we were told these things more often. I want to say that endocrine priming and this, this whole neurotransmitter and, and hormones uh, changing that's happening, it's not necessary for caring a baby, for caring for a baby, nor is it a guarantee that a mother will have a loving bond with her baby. Okay. So if you had, you know, maybe some disruptions in this period, or maybe your clients had some disruptions in the normal biological uh, exposure, maybe you're a foster mom, or uh, maybe you are parenting in a different way, whatever the case may be, we know that a mother can still develop a loving bond with her baby. And the reverse is true. We also know that even when there was optimal endocrine priming, that doesn't necessarily mean that a mother is going to be the greatest caregiver for her baby. Um, there's one study that had had done um, that showed foster mothers having uh, oxytocin levels um, that are very similar to birthing mothers. So we know that the body adapts and changes and that we are the ultimate uh, people in control of it, not just birth. Okay, so I, I think that that's just a really important point to throw out there for, for everyone. Become a postpartum university professional. Our evidence-based trainings, guides, downloads, tools, and community membership is now open for applications. Join us as we learn, connect, and implement better care practices for ourselves and for our clients we serve. You can learn more at postpartumu, the letter U, dot com slash membership. So we already talked about the changes that happen in the brain. 
and and with the neurotransmitters. All of that is interrelated, um, and it's also interrelated into the nervous system. So we have this increased activity in the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So that's the HPA axis, HPA, and the HPA axis is responsible for regulating the body's stress response. And during the postpartum period, it becomes active. And the placenta actually plays a major role in this activation. And it leads to an increased risk, not an increased risk, an increase in stress and anxiety for many women. Individuals with ADHD also have an increased activity in their HPA access. Okay, so if you remember when we were talking about that, I said, if you don't know what an HPA axis is, you'll you'll learn about it here. This is ADHD has increased activity. We also know, biologically speaking, a normal biological shift that happens in postpartum is an increased level of stress and anxiety. Now, our, our body is not designed to be at an increased uh, stress and anxiety response. It's not, oh, you've had a baby, so here's your stress and here's all your anxiety, right? That's not that's not why our HP axis, uh, HPA axis increases. It's not why there's elevated levels of cortisol, okay, which is the stress hormone. The reason that exists for postpartum women is to help us care for our babies and recognize danger. So if you think about, uh, how many of us have had intrusive thoughts or know somebody who has had intrusive thoughts, especially in the postpartum years, right? They're, they feel like they're out of control. You know, uh, these thoughts come to us when we are close to danger, oftentimes, right? When we are near a balcony with our baby, or we're going to go to the, down the stairs, right? We come across stairs or heights or getting in the car, or driving in our car, maybe driving is just fine, but you come across a bridge, right? And these nasty intrusive thoughts pop into your head and you think, oh my gosh, why did I just think of that? That was so awful, usually involving harm of your baby or harm of yourself. Oftentimes it's something that happens to you. Sometimes it's something that maybe you've done to your baby, but it's just really awful, horrible, intrusive thoughts. Now, these are activated because of this, the HPA axis, which has elevated your levels of cortisol to help you be aware and seek danger. And it just so happens we live in a very dangerous space and we're constantly elevated because we have so many other stressors in our life. The push to get back to work. We're taking care of our kids ourselves. So if you just had a baby, you, you might have like a couple of days and then your partner goes back to work and you're on your own and you're having to cook all your meals and you're having to think about grocery shopping and you're gonna have to think about how you're gonna pick up your kid from school the next day. And now you've got a new baby and breastfeeding, you've got to figure out and this kid is having a difficult time latching and your nipple hurts, right? And you're not sleeping sleeping and your baby's having witching hour at the worst time ever, right? All of those thoughts is very exhausting and it's very stressful. And that creates a roller coaster effect. So when, and an ongoing, snowballing, right? One thing leads to the other. And when we have those intrusive thoughts and we freak out that we're having this intrusive thought, 
it signals more cortisol release, more stress release, and then we're more likely to have those thoughts, right? And they spiral. And that's that's what's happening during this time. So we have this ability as a new mother to not be more stressed, but we're more likely to be more stressed if we don't set up an environment and support systems in our place that allow us to rest and relax and be in a space where we don't have to make a lot of decisions. So we know that that HPA axis that's regulating that stress response within the body, it is, it is more active. And our placenta helped us in getting it more active so that we can care for our baby more. So if you have yourself maybe going through those thoughts or maybe you have clients, remind them of this. This is a biological normal and it's here to support your, your body and keeping your baby safe. It's here to support your baby. So when you have those thoughts, remind yourself Thank you so much, body. Thank you so much, mind. I am so grateful that you're here to keep us safe, right? And that that starts the calming effect, right? It, it, it just shifts um, a lot of these things that are that are occurring in your body. Okay. And we also have vagal tone. Okay. Vagal tone of postpartum women is lower in, in postpartum women compared to non-pregnant women because of this neurobiological change and the physiological demands of, of birthing and the stress of taking care of a newborn, especially when we don't have the care that we need. A vagal, turn, a vagal tone refers to the activity of the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in the body. And it regulates many functions like heart rate, breathing, digestion, right? That's the path of the gut-brain axis. That's how it communicates. Um, and it and it also regulates the, the stress response. So the vagal tone is like the balance uh, of activity between, you know, the vagus nerve, the parasympathetic branch that promotes relaxation, restoration, rest, digest kind of thing. And then the sympathetic branch, which is that fight or flight response. So when somebody has a high vagal tone, it's associated with more active and efficient parasympathetic nervous system. So relaxing, slowing down, recovering from stress more quickly. And it's got a lot of health benefits, obviously mental health benefits as well. It improves heart rate, reduces inflammation, better emotional regulation. But low vagal uh, tone has been associated with negative outcomes, including an increased risk of depression, anxiety, cardiovascular disease, ADHD. Okay. And it's not something that those who have low vagal tone is going to have ADHD. We know that it is um, one of those things that support uh, the development of ADHD or um, it's not a risk of, I hope that's making sense. It's actually being researched right now as a treatment option. Okay, vagal tone is being researched as a treatment option. So we know logo, low vagal uh, tone is associated with those who have ADHD. Okay, and then uh, those who are in um, the postpartum period also have uh, low vagal tone. So let me get here. Let me. Okay, I want to talk to you about the postpartum gut. And I'm going to do my best to go through really quickly because you all know how much I love this conversation. 
Uh, I have lots of trainings on this, so I'm going to do my best to just quick summarize this. We know that there's hormonal changes during pregnancy, affects the gut-brain axis. Uh, There's uh, influencing gut motility, intestinal permeability, the release of neurotransmitter. Um, There's a shift in the the nervous system that impacts the gut-brain axis. And so the way we eat shifts dramatically. Okay. Um, but we also know that many mothers enter postpartum depleted of key nutrients, right? The availability of nutritious foods, depleted soils, wrong information, relying on poor supplements. There's a multitude of reasons for this, but the, the physiological postpartum changes require a different way of, of eating again, um, which oftentimes, uh, creates depletion when we don't follow this. So we have to look at not only nutrition and and how it impacts the whole body health, but also its ability to being absorbed in the body. So hormones, again, this is natural state of fluctuation. Nutrition is the foundation to hormone health. And we're going to dive into this a little bit more deeper. And when we when we kind of combine all of these pieces and say, okay, what is it that we need during this time, especially for women who are feeling, um, or may have been diagnosed with ADHD. Okay. We'll get into like exactly, um, what we need to look for and, and nutrients and, and all that level here in a second. So I'm just going to, I'm going to leave that here though. And if you want to explore this, if you're here, obviously on the call, you're either um, certified, getting certified in postpartum nutrition, or you have access to trainings um, on postpartum nutrition. So definitely look there for more details. I really want to stress that overall, there's a lot of changes that are occurring in the postpartum brain. They're complex, they're multifaceted. Some have positive effects, some have negative effects, especially I think more negative effects in our very masculine go, go, go kind of world where we're not here to get the support that we need. But we know that these effects are, uh, they impact our, our mood, our behavior, our cognitive function. And a lot of research is still needed to understand these changes and how it impacts maternal health and well-being, especially in relationship to ADHD. Uh, There's a a growing body of research that suggests that these biological changes that are occurring in postpartum are are many times linked to the development or exacerbation of ADHD symptoms, okay? So the hormone fluctuations, the changes in brain structure and function, the alterations in the stress response system, those the estrogen, the progesterone, the oxytocin levels, um, how they signal to dopamine, right? All of that impacts ADHD. And so when we look at these similarities between, you know, the changes that are occurring in the brain and the, and in the body overall into how ADHD is functioning and the, the changes that occur in a person's brain who has ADHD, it's really easy to see why more women are discovering they have ADHD in postpartum. And that postpartum can exacerbate either pre-existing ADHD symptoms or trigger a relapse into ADHD. And also why many women exhibit signs of ADHD and postpartum that are not ADHD, but symptoms of not healing or dysregulation in the body because they're not getting enough support. Again, there's so much to really dive into into this, and we're gonna get into this in the next session when we start talking about root causes 
specific to postpartum and ADHD. I am so grateful you turned into the Postpartum University podcast. We've hoped you enjoyed this episode enough to leave us a quick review. And more importantly, I hope more than ever that you take what you've learned here, applied it to your own life and consider joining us in the Postpartum University membership. It's a private space where mothers and providers learn the real truth and the real tools needed to heal in the years postpartum. You can learn more at www.postpartumu.com. We'll see you next week. <laughs>